This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about oysters. We've had this on our to-do list for a while, I think. I think we have, yeah. Or am I mixing it up with, like, dessert wines? Oysters and dessert wines, so similar. Do those go together? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. I think what you want with oysters is like a crackling cold Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> yes, where's where's Tony Negroni when we need her? That's true. Uh, I'll tell Probably you where she is. House. She's she's actually at my house taking care of my baby, so oh. I can be here. Okay. Did I mention that our nanny is on vacation this week? Oh, wow. And so we're having our corporate retreat at the end of this week, listener. Uh, not the <laughs> one, week that- Our one listener who funded our corporate <laughs> retreat. <laughs> Not when you hear this, we will have already gone on our corporate retreat, but I am anticipating our corporate retreat right now. And, oh, yeah. We and, just we just put a bunch of snacks on our snack list. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, but we're not going to snack on oysters. No, unless, I mean, who knows? Who what, knows? Anything I mean, I'm willing to snack on you oysters. Said, but, you said we're staying on, on a like a... a, a Pickle, pickle, saltwater, saltwater pickled passage or something. It's called Pickering Passage. Pickering Passage. There's probably a couple of a couple of bivalves down there. I bet. Okay. Well, anyway, but uh, I, I don't know how to shuck an oyster. I've never. Oh, I don't either. I've never done it. And we're going to talk more about this okay. a little bit when we get there. But this episode was suggested by a listener on Reddit, HW Fiddlehead. Yeah, who I think is pretty active on on the spilled milk Reddit. Well, thank you, HW Fiddlehead, Matthew. Let's begin on Memory Lane. My dad. Dad has always loved oysters, smoked, raw, whatever. And I don't think I tried my first oyster until I was in my 20s. I was scared of them as a kid. They seemed like slimy and or smelly. Yeah, no, I think this is a common a common story. I had an oyster, I think, as a young child, and I don't even know that I swallowed it. Or I think I, I tried to have one and I was like too terrified I couldn't actually do it. I did not have my first oyster until I was 30. Yes. And uh, Teenager of the Show December, Totsdy, like, has always loved seafood and has never really been squeamish about it. And uh, I think had their first oyster when they were like one. That exactly is the case with June. June used to pick them up. Like, like pinch the actual like mollusk itself out of the shell shell Uh and like drop it 
into their mouth. Hardcore. Yeah. Anyway, but I, I do remember, I mean, oysters sort of loomed large in my imagination as a child because my parents loved them and I found them terrifying, mm-hmm. which is kind of a state I can't really think myself back to. Oh, sure. Like, it's interesting. It's are, like when I try to remember what it was like uh, when I couldn't read Japanese. Oh, you like really can't remember. Can't remember. Wow, that's so interesting. I'm trying to think about. I, mean, I remember what it what like you know not being able to read things, but I can't remember what it felt like to look at it and not not have it look like words. Okay, uh, it's interesting because I do think that there are some experiences in life that seem daunting or difficult or momentous to achieve, and yet I can remember life before them. I don't remember what it was like to be super scared of oysters. Okay, yeah. But anyway, I I remember them showing up just like at the door, <laughs> just ambling now, over to your to your doorstep. So my half siblings, who are a good deal older than me, they all lived and still live on the East Coast, and uh, they're all really interested in food. And I remember them coming to our house. For Christmas, this was like the house that I grew up in that we lived in until I was like 12 or 13. I remember them coming with like a cooler full of oysters. Mm -hmm. This was like a big deal for my parents. And my dad got out his oyster shucking knife and his like shucking glove, which was like this heavy duty. In his case, it was like a heavy duty, clear plastic thing that like fit over. Like there was a loop that went over his four fingers and then it kind of covered his whole palm and part of his thumb. Interesting. I think we used to sell oyster shucking gloves at Sur La Table when I worked there, of course. But I think of the I think they were more like just a like fully over the hand, like chain mail glove. Yes, that's what I have seen mostly these days. My dad. Yeah, his thing was kind of weird. And for people who are like really concerned, we sold we sold like a full suit of oyster armor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I need to. So my spouse enjoys whittling every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And Ash also is the kind of person who whatever hobby they are doing, they're going to wind up getting injured somehow. Oh, sure. Like when I took up knife sharpening. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get injured? All the time. Wow. Yeah. OK, well, Ash forever is whittling with like no protective stuff. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Maybe for their birthday this year, I will finally... You know, I'm just going to buy them an oyster glove. I'm going to buy them an oyster glove. Okay. For all their whittling needs. Yeah. But I I remember my half siblings arriving with all these oysters. And what is whittling protective equipment? Because like the problem, like when you're knife sharpening, like Mm. you really need to like have like your tactile, you you know, contact with the with the materials or you can't really tell what you're doing. So one thing that I do know is there's a a type of apron. Oh, because often people are whittling like sort of. Oh, right. So you don't want to like put a knife like through your thigh. Yes. So they're like protective aprons or you Makes can, sense. I think that you can just use like a heavy duty piece of leather, like on your thigh. Okay. I know that you should get one of those I know things. that's the case for flint napping. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you brought up flint napping. I think about flint napping <laughs> all the time. Flint-napped? I never have. Oh my God. Can, can we, we talk do that about on the retreat? Yes, please. No, we can't flint nap on the retreat because we don't have any boppers. <laughs> <gasps> Are you serious that there's something called boppers? Yes. That's so, like a nursing pillow, right? So, Matt. 
So, Matthew, <laughs> my kid uh, goes to a school where Your kid, bopper. at some point in like lower elementary, every single kid gets interested in flint napping. Uh, I don't know if this is like a Montessori thing or what. <laughs> guess, but wait, get, like the, do they the teachers bring it up or the kids just like, I don't know how okay. this happens. <laughs> I don't know how this happens. Like, so kids, it's like part of a developmental stage. Like every (laughs) child uh has like an ancient Egypt phase. That's true. And like a Greek mythology phase. And if your kid's in June's class, you go through a flint napping phase too. And here's the deal. There is a society like Pacific Northwest Flint Nappers or Nappers, of course there Nappers is. Northwest or something like that. <laughs> and anyway, I, am, I am a charter member of Nappers <laughs> Northwest. <laughs> Dad jokes. But there is this place like out near Sammamish where every Friday morning, this guy who has like turned his garage, uh, his detached garage into like uh, Flint napping and like bow making uh, workshop he opens it to the public and you can come and for free like he'll teach you how to flint nap and he's got like obsidian and all this all the stuff you need so i had heard from like some other parents at june school who had like chaperoned trips of kids going out to this yeah. dude's place on Friday mornings. And once when June was out of school on a Friday, they were like, please, can we go flint napping? <laughs> and at the time, Ash was self-employed. I was also self-employed, still am. But anyway, we were available. So we took June to this place in Sammamish. And I got to say, we rolled up and like, I felt that we were possibly in MAGA country. Yeah, sure. There was like a lot of military bumper sticker situation and NRA stuff. Yeah. But these guys, and it was all men, older men, they were so welcoming. I want to say that they were also incredibly welcoming of Ash, my very androgynous spouse, and that felt really good. Good. And anyway, they taught us how to flint nap. And you need this tool called a bopper, and it it kind of looks like like a very short cattle prod, and it's got a little bit of like lead or some other heavy material in the head of it, so that you don't have to use a lot of force when you are napping. You just like lightly strike it against a certain wow. edge. It's really cool. Okay, I have several questions about flint napping. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Okay. Number one, <laughs> what is the goal of flint napping? Oh, to uh, to to take a piece of stone, obsidian, flint, whatever. Obsidian is most typical in this part of the country. And to basically sharpen it into an arrowhead or a sword or a knife. Okay, so so it doesn't have anything to do with starting fires. No. Oh, no, no. I no, thought it did. It is all about taking a stone and basically creating a, a like a cutting edge. Okay. And so you are doing that. Like, I can show you. Actually, you're coming to my house later today. You'll I've, show me something you napped? I've got arrowheads that I napped. Okay. I think I noticed arrowheads when I was at your house yeah, recently. That, those are my family. I didn't family, know you napped them. Family napping souvenirs. Okay. I think that might actually be all of my questions about flint okay. napping because okay, cool. the rest of it were going to be fire related. Yeah. I don't know how we got onto this. I oh, don't either. Uh, uh, the, shucking, shucking, shucking like a flint armor. napping glove versus a shucking glove. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I remember my parents. 
parents and my older half siblings really savoring oysters. I was terrified. I think I tried one and maybe gagged or something. I was not brave enough to try one again until around the time we opened Delancey. And I remember we occasionally served oysters on the um, half shell on the half shell. And I did not realize, and we're going to talk a lot more about this, but until that time, I didn't really understand that probably the oysters that my half-siblings had brought Mm. when I was a kid were East Coast oysters. So completely different type from the Pacific oysters that we almost exclusively have here, which are smaller. The shell looks really different. So Pacific oysters felt much more doable to me because they're little. Yes, I had the, I've had the same experience yeah. where I thought an oyster was like a big ass thing, partly because, oh, I'm just remembering this now. My memory lane continues further back that my parents had and possibly still have as a spoon rest on their stovetop. An oyster shell? Like a half an oyster shell of a huge oyster that my dad ate. Oh, my God. Like That's it, revolting. It, it, no, it's, it's, it's like an awesome, but enormous shell. Wow. Did he, you know, just toss it back or did he like cut it up? I don't know. I wasn't there. Does anybody ever cut up an oyster? That Can you imagine weird. anything worse? And then my more recent memory lane, if this is even like, like this was like last year, earlier this year, I've talked about on the Bistro Night episode that uh, December and I went to Bistro Night at Bistro Estelle, a wonderful restaurant in Bellingham, Washington. And I think both of our favorite dish of the night was roasted oysters with Ooh. Serrano chili mignonette. And I feel like a serious oyster person would be like, you don't need to roast an oyster. Like you should eat it raw and like don't put something spicy on it and mask the flavor. This was such a good dish. It oh, was it so sounds great. great. It sounds fun. Phenomenal. You know, I also want to say, like, about uh, our kids liking oysters. Oysters were one of the first foods where I really, really got to, like, test out my ability to not respond to whether or not my child ate something. You know, like, you have to just pretend that the thing you're putting in front of them is, like, as normal as an Mm -hmm. apple slice. And you don't respond whether they eat it or not. And it doesn't matter how they eat it. Like, I mean, I don't think June ever knew that I thought it was bonkers that they reached in with their fingers and like Good. pulled the oyster out. Good for you. But anyway, I think that. Did it, you did you make them shuck it themselves? Yeah, of course I did. Of course I did. They've still I mean, got the scars. I mean, they're already, already a, uh, a seasoned flint napper. That's right. They can do anything. Yeah. Okay, so like, let's get into this. I did the research for this episode and I learned a lot. So are you ready for some? uh, Do you know much about oysters? No. Okay, great. I mean, I know a little bit, but not much. Okay, so, you know, at its most basic, oyster is like what we call a number of different families of saltwater bivalve mollusks that live in either marine, so salty, or brackish habitats. Brackish is lightly salted. That's right. Uh, many, but not all, are in the, the family, how would I pronounce this? Austriety. Austriety. Okay. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, Matthew, would you, uh, is Mr. Etymology here? Mr. Etymology has just arrived oh, uh, in his uh, his carriage. Oh, wonderful. Has he come from the 14th century? He's come from the 14th century to tell you this. The word oyster comes from the old French 
Wastre. I have no idea. And first appeared in English during the 14th century, which is where I just came from. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the French derived from the Latin Austria, uh, Austria, the feminine form of Ostrium, which is the Latinization of the ancient Greek Ostrion, oyster, compared to Ostion, bone. Yeah, isn't that interesting yeah. that the words are so similar? I mean, the calcium, I guess, in the the oyster shell, yeah, it makes sense why it would be close to the word bone. Yeah, they yeah they refer to them as as uh, bony boys. <laughs> bony boys, that's right. <laughs> okay, so there are two main types. Oh, uh, Mr. Etymology is getting back in his carriage now. Oh, bye, Mr. Etymology. Time, time carriage. Oh, time carriage. Okay, so uh, there are two main types of oysters. The first one, let's just get this out of the way, is the pearl oyster. Oyster. Oh, we'll so, come, so the we'll ones come, we eat are not pearl oysters? That's correct. Pearl oysters? Okay. Yeah, pearl oysters are actually, well, here, let, let's talk about this. Let's just cut ahead to pearl oysters. Okay. okay. So pearl oysters, like here's the deal. So almost all mollusks that have a shell can, can secrete pearls. pearls. Right. Yeah. But most of them are not very valuable on like, on like, on a, like human, human commodities right. scale. Pearl oysters are not closely related to the other type we're going to talk about in a minute, which are which are true oysters. Okay. Okay. Uh, pearl oysters are members of their own family. In nature, this is so cool. I didn't okay. know this. In nature, pearl oysters make pearls by covering a tiny invasive object. I with did know this. Nacre. So nacre being um, mother of pearl. It's like this composite material produced by mollusks as a an inner shell layer and you can recognize it by its like iridescent shine right? right so yeah like basically like there's like a little irritating object that gets inside an oyster and the way the oyster responds is by covering it with layers and layers of nacre over time eventually it becomes a pearl it is so fully covered in this mother of pearl stuff and the many different types and colors and shapes of pearls depend on the natural pigment of the nacre and the shape of the original irritant okay so if you're curious if you have like a pearl necklace and you're curious you can like crack those puppies open and and see what the original what irritant was what would happen if you cracked it open. If you cracked open a pearl, I'm, I bet this is on, on YouTube. I bet it is too. Anyway, so pearl farmers. So these days, the demand for pearls like far outstrips sure. natural pearl making, right? So there are such things as cultured pearls, which are basically like farmed pearls. Yes. So pearl farmers culture a pearl by Placing a nucleus is what they call it, but it's usually like a piece of polished muscle shell. Oh, nice. Inside an oyster. And in three to seven years, the oyster will have made it into a pearl. Wow. So only three to seven years. You have only to wait. three to seven years. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this led me to a philosophical thought, oh, which is right. like, do you think that making pearls out of irritants is akin to making lemonade from lemons? Hmm. Do, do the oysters squeeze the irritants? <laughs> but, um, but probably by just ha having them inside their shell, they're probably... You're, you're, so it do sounds you think like... that if I get a splinter deep enough oh. that I can turn it into a pearl? Okay, I <laughs> thought you were just trying to make the phrase making pearls out of irritants happen, <laughs> which seems unlikely. <laughs> okay. But but let's, no, let's go on, let's let's move on to this more interesting question. Like if you get a, if you get a sliver, uh, like in the movie Sliver, mm -hmm. uh, can you like turn it into... If like, I secrete enough mother of pearl, uh -huh. 
I'm going to work on learning how to secrete mother pearl. I mean, you are you are a mother, and you've secreted other it's things. It's true. Do you? But do you think that I could like the way that we can like seed clouds to make yes. them rain? Does that actually work? I don't know, but could I like <laughs> seed my like sweat glands with nacre? I think you should this try. This is the most disgusting thing I've ever. I bet thought it's of. not. I bet we've talked about way more disgusting things. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So that's pearl oysters. Okay. So okay. so in contrast, what we're going to focus on here are true oysters. Not my word. Right. I was going to say, like, how do the pearl oysters feel about the other ones being called true oysters? I fucking hate it. Yeah. So, oh, I should wait. Like, this comes up all the time in biology because there's like, there's like a a, a class, there's there's a a taxon of insects called true bugs. And you got to think like all the rest of the bugs are like, yeah, fuck you guys. Uh, Totally. (laughs) No. I was thinking about that, about like pearls, like which pearls have value and which ones don't like. Oh, yeah. It's very silly. It's very silly. I should also say that there are a bunch of bivalve mollusks that are not at all taxonomically related to oysters, but their common names include the word oyster, like, like what? Rocky Mountain oysters. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> that just came to mind. But um, these include such things as thorny oysters, which are, are mm, the genus Spondylus cool. or Spondylus, Spondylus, Spondylus. Okay. Very popular in the Philippines. All right. So this is a different kind of bivalve. And it's crazy. If you look up thorny oyster, you'll see it looks like a, a very round clamshell that has like porcupine spines. Wow. Okay. It's wild. Scallops are apparently sometimes called pilgrim oysters. Never heard of that. Never heard that. And jingle shells, which <laughs> I often find on the beach here. Really? Actually, they have mother of pearl, too. They're, do they jingle all the way? Uh, they do. <laughs> Too. They are sometimes called saddle oysters. Okay. Okay, but none of these things are actually oysters. So let's talk about true oysters. <laughs> you get sometimes get the feeling that like things were named by like some guy who only knew one word. <laughs> right? it's true. It's like true. Who, the opposite of Mister Etymology. That's right. <laughs> okay. So true oysters are members of the family. <laughs> you say it. Oh, uh, I, I just got, I just got, uh, gotcha. Austriety? That's right. That's right. Pearl oysters are not in Austriety, oh, okay. by the way. Okay. So true oysters are members of Austriety. And Austriety are super old. This family evolved in the early. I know they're at least three to seven years old. Yes. The, those are the pearls. Austriety, oh, members of the Austriety family, uh, evolved in the early Triassic era. So okay. That is pretty old. 250 million years ago. That's like before. For Jurassic Park. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and way Jeff before, Goldblum hadn't been born. That's right. Way before Cretaceous Park. <laughs> okay. this, this joke brought to you by Mr. Geology. <laughs> <laughs> all edible oysters are true oysters. Okay. So all edible oysters are within Austria. But not, not counting the, not counting like the thorny oysters and things that are uh, That's not right. Oysters. Those are not okay. oysters. Okay. So edible oysters then belong to many different genera. genera. Yeah. So there's like Ostria, Crassostria, Ostriola. <laughs> okay. I'm messing all this no, up. No, no. I would think, you I think say you're saying all these correctly. I'm just, Ma- I just Magellana, think they're funny names. Uh, and Sacostria. Yeah, like they, it sounds like they start with Austria, like crass Austria, like <laughs> like what a crass oyster. Right. And Sac Austria. <laughs> yeah. So this is where we get to start talking about the fact that like 
Eastern oysters or East Coast oysters are actually a different genera from Pacific oysters. For it's instance. not just they grow bigger on the East Coast That's because right. like people like like people in New York are throwing pizza crusts in That's the water. That's correct. Okay. Also, Olympia oysters, mm-hmm. which you may be familiar I with. I think we- those are my favorite oyster to eat. Oh, raw. really? I yeah. want to talk more about okay. this in a minute. They are a separate genera as well. Separate genus. Separate ge- genus. God. <laughs> okay. So here, for instance, the Eastern oyster, which is also called the Atlantic oyster, the American oyster, the East Coast oyster, it is, uh, would you say the taxonomic name of it, please? Uh, Crassostria virginica. That's right. It is a species of true oyster native to Eastern, North, and South America. Okay. So you may also see it as the Wellfleet oyster, the mm-hmm. Virginia oyster, Malpec, Blue Point, Chesapeake Bay, or Apalachicola. Apalachicola. Apalachicola oyster. God, I am. I've never heard of that, but it's really fun to say. I haven't either. Sea virginica, you can find it from like northern New Brunswick all the way through parts of the West Indies to Venezuela. Okay. And it's farmed uh, like in all the maritime provinces of Canada and all along the eastern seaboard and the Gulf states. And there is actually one type of sea virginica that we encounter here or that's farmed in Puget Sound, and that is the Totten Inlet Virginica. Okay, I've heard of Totten Inlet oysters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was also introduced to the Hawaiian Islands. Oh, okay. So you may encounter it on a vacation in Hawaii, for instance. All right. Okay, now, on the other hand, Pacific oysters are a whole other genus. They are Magellana gigas. How would you say that? I never know how to say that. There's like like a bunch of... I am like I don't know what that hopeless. word means, but it appears in a lot of uh, species names. So maybe it's like somebody's name. Well, I do know Magellana. Is that what you mean? Uh, no, Gygus appears in a lot of species names, like the, like the the Gygus giant clam. Gygus means I think it means giant. Yeah, it means giant. <laughs> I'm not sure why these would be called giant because in general they are. A bit smaller okay. than, than the East maybe, Coast. Maybe they're like giant compared to other oysters in the Magellana genus. This maybe. is a wild guess. Maybe. Well, so, yeah. So, Eastern oyster is the, the Crassostria virginica. The Pacific oyster is the Magellana gigas. And so, uh, any like Japanese oyster varieties, mm-hmm. you like might see Kumamoto. it. Like That's right. The Kumamoto, etc. Anyway, this is an oyster native to the Pacific coast of Asia. And it's become an introduced species in like North America and Australia and Europe and New Zealand. I didn't know there are a lot of there's a lot of oyster farming in New Zealand, specifically Pacific oysters. Of course, this genus is named for the Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan. Oh, that makes sense. Magellana. The shell of this guy looks quite different from the shell of an eastern oyster. Okay. So in general, a Pacific oyster has a a quite cupped bottom shell, Mm -hmm. and the top shell is much flatter and sometimes concave. All right. But the bottom is is usually quite cupped, whereas East Coast oysters tend to have frillier bottom cups. Frillier bottoms. Okay. But that, I don't think that's always the case because we certainly see frilly oysters out here, too. So I don't really know. I think this is an overgeneralization. Thanks for nothing, Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, basically, the shell of 
M. gigas varies widely with the environment where it's uh, attached. The shell of M. gigas sounds sounds like <laughs> some like serious book club book. It does, right? doesn't it? They're super temperature tolerant and like really easy to grow. Okay. And they spread easily. In fact, in some cases, like in some parts of the world, they're considered an invasive species. Okay. So all of this means that they are the most widely farmed and commercially important oyster in the whole world. So what about, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but maybe you do. I don't. What about the other uh, genera of oysters like Ostriola and Ostria and stuff. You know, I didn't learn much about those. Okay. Yeah, I didn't learn much about those. Well, you know what I also kind of overlooked here is, so the Olympia oyster Mm -hmm. is neither... Crassostria virginica or Magellana gigas. It's a a different thing. And I wonder if it's one of those. Mm. Yeah. So Pacific oysters are, you know, definitely the dominant one where we are. Ostria lurida is the Olympia oyster. Okay. Yep. You're absolutely right. Uh, The most significant introduction of Pacific oysters for like commercial cultivation uh, was to the Pacific coast of the U.S. in the 1920s and France in the 1960s. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So I always wondered why oysters are so expensive mm-hmm. when they are also like quite abundant. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, they, or at least relatively abundant. Is it, I'm gonna guess that or, it's partly because they take a long time to grow, but that's well, a guess. I mean, I I think actually my perception of abundant is actually not very abundant compared to how they <laughs> okay. used to be. Ah. So let's talk about a little history here. All right. So do you know what a midden is? I do. D- uh, tell us what a midden it's is. It's like when it's when you're like doing like an archaeological dig and you find really old garbage that's interesting. There's probably more to it than that, but. That's basically the idea. No, a midden is an ancient garbage pile. Okay. An ancient, like, human garbage pile. We You're can an ancient tell- human garbage <laughs> Shut pile. up, Matthew. You're a garbage man. <laughs> um, and, and by that, I mean a man who is garbage. Yeah, no, I understand. You're not a garbage man. I'm not a, I'm not a no. trash collector. You're one of the good ones. Oh, but- but trash collectors. Are no, no, very... I didn't mean that. Set no, you hate trash man. collectors. I don't hate trash collectors. I am so grateful to my <laughs> trash collectors. Okay, so we can tell from middens that oysters have been important food sources for humans since like prehistoric times. Yeah, way back when, they've been cultivated in what is now Japan since 2000 BC. That kind of doesn't surprise me. 
and I guess that would be the Pacific oyster because that's yeah. where it originated. Anyway, so interesting. Uh, in the UK, they've been farming oysters uh, in an area called the Kentish Flats since Roman times. Ah, the Kentish Flats. Yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, in Victorian England, it was quite common for people to go to the pub and enjoy their favorite beer with some oysters. They quickly realized that the, quote, rich, sweet, malty stouts, I'm not sure who Wikipedia was quoting, <laughs> uh, were great with the, quote, briny, creamy oyster. I mean, they do quote. make that sound good. Right? Uh, then brewers found that oyster shells naturally clarify a beer. I've heard of this. And Why they, have I heard of this? I don't know. They started putting crushed oyster shells in their brews. The first brewery known to do this was in 1938 at the Hammerton Brewery in London. And they would just do this at the bar, right? They would just oh, like, you sure. order a beer, they just like put a spoonful of crushed oyster mm-hmm, shells in there. Mm-hmm. That's how I like it. I really <laughs> like it up. I like the burn when the oyster shells go down. <laughs> like a, a gouge your esophagus. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. In the early 1800s, oysters were cheap, uh, which made them like a, a, a beloved food among the working class. Is this was there a book about this by like that you know Mark Kurlansky? Mark Kurlansky, probably. I feel like there maybe there was. I think I read a book about the history of oysters. Okay, this like this seems I, like something back when that, I was like a food writer. Yeah, yeah. Oysters were uh, they were hugely popular in New York City, in part because throughout the 1800s, oyster beds in New York Harbor were the largest source of oysters in the entire world. So oysters were hugely popular in New York City, and eventually, rising demand just completely exhausted the beds, and so they introduced some like new species of oysters, which then brought in diseases. Sorry, I'm, I'm giggling at the phrase exhausted the beds. Exhausted the beds. <laughs> Matthew, have you ever exhausted a bed? Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, and then of course like erosion and then pollution and all that fucked everything up mm-hmm. by the early 1900s. Because oysters were so popular and now so scarce, the prices went way up, sure. making them an expensive delicacy. And even though like oyster farming is very common and very successful, they do still, they're still a delicacy. Yeah. Now I am realizing that because like I, if someone orders like oysters on the half shell, I will eat a couple. So, you know, I don't fear them anymore, but they're still not like a thing I crave. And so I don't order them myself. And as a result, if we were like participating in like a political debate, if uh, if I was asked like, what's a what's a reasonable price to pay for a dozen oysters? I would be like mocked in, in embarrassing headlines the next day because I'd say, I don't know, like $8. Is that what you really think? Yeah. Really? Is that, is that? too much i think of oysters as being like i think like two to three dollars per oh okay oyster. So, I'm, so i'm too low okay you're very low all right yeah i mean but i i'm thinking like a, a restaurant in seattle which yeah, is a very okay. expensive city yeah i really don't know also because i don't eat oysters very often because they're so expensive yeah all right i think the last time i had oysters was Months and months ago at a place called Harry's Beach House in West Seattle. And I think my mom and I shared a half dozen oysters. And I remember thinking it was $18 okay. for a half dozen oysters. All right. Okay. So we could spend a long time talking about how these things are cultivated. Like there are two main methods, et cetera. It's, it's interesting. We could also talk about their ability to filter water. Like humans have actually like in many places put oysters to work cleaning waterways. Do they do do they filter the water the same way they filter the beer? 
<laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, okay, you crush right. them up and you just put them in the water. Right. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. But we're not going to get into all that because I want to talk about eating them. Okay. Yes. Let's do Great. that. Great. Okay. Matthew, how, how do you eat these things? Like fried. I like that roasted oyster dish and raw if someone else has ordered some. That's yeah. basically okay. it. So you wouldn't order some? No. No? Huh. You know, I think I, I'm getting the feeling because I feel like I've been saying this recently on the show a lot that like, you know, this is a food that I'm interested in, but isn't like one of my favorite things necessarily. Yeah. Then maybe we already did all of the foods I liked in our last 800 episodes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we've reached the end of foods that you love? Maybe. No, we'll think, we'll think of some more. Oh, my this God. Only, I, I, also, I miscounted. This is episode 612. Okay. Wow. When you eat raw oysters, do you chew? Yes. Mm-hmm. Unless, I, yeah, I do, because I'm afraid of choking. <laughs> <laughs> is that really why you chew? Yeah, uh-huh. For sure. Not to release the flavor, or, or not because that's what we do with food. Oh, I, that's probably another reason. But like, I know, I know that you're supposed to kind of gulp them. Right? No, you're supposed to chew. You're, uh, like, who, but I, who makes the rules? I make the rules. Okay. No. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I too don't want to choke. <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> swallowing an oyster whole. Why would I do that? The other thing is, the texture is like surprisingly firm mm-hmm. in a, in a good oyster. Yeah. Not firm, but like, I like the texture of like yeah, cutting through no, it with my teeth. I definitely like having said that, like I never order them myself, which is true. Like everyone, every time I eat one, I'm like it, this does feel like a special experience. It's so delicious. And really like, I feel like oysters and sometimes like a really good cheese, like these things can like give me pause for a minute in a good way. Like, like, like pause? Yeah. Like furry pause. No, they can like really kind of just make me like just sit top back and, and like really savor. Yeah in a way that uh, not a lot of foods do. But what I wanted to say is, uh, I remember when I was still quite new to eating oysters. Wow, this is going to sound really pretentious. Okay, great. I was traveling in France with friend of the show, Francis Lamb. Mm-hmm. We went to this oyster place in Paris called like, I don't know, this word is going to sound really terrible coming out of my mouth, like huitrerie, like, yeah, like oystery. Yeah. Huitrerie régie. This is like, I, I feel like I'm just sounding like I have a, a something stuck in my throat. But anyway, uh, Oystery Regis. Okay. <laughs> and we uh, went there specifically just to eat oysters, like before dinner one night as like a fancy thing to do. And I remember watching Francis eat an oyster was one of the strangest experiences in my life up to that moment. Because he had he, like a long prehensile tongue. He... <laughs> he Put it in his mouth and proceeded to chew so much and practically like swish the oyster around in his mouth, like getting Mm -hmm. all the flavor going. And I I think that like this is a beautiful thing, like for somebody to really get all the flavor out of something like that. But I can't. I don't want to keep an oyster in my mouth that long. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, Francis, I mean, have us back on your show like, to talk swished, about chewing. He like swished with the oyster. Sure. When you were talking about that, it made me ask a question that I don't think we're going to answer, uh, even though sometimes I portray the popular character, Mr. Etymology. When you said, uh, <laughs> huitrerie, is that French for osteria? <laughs> that, like, is an osteria in Italy, was that, like, originally an oyster place, or is it a totally different route? Oh, I don't know. Hey, if, hey, if any of our listeners would like to moonlight as Mr. Etymology, hey, oh, yeah. like, uh, send us an email. 
Yeah, we can also Google it later. Oh, oh we can also. Uh, yeah, yeah we'll no, Google no, that's it. fine. Anyway, uh, I like to eat oysters raw and I do chew. I think I probably chew like three or four times. Okay. I like to eat them raw with a squeeze of lemon. That's oh, yeah, my favorite. For sure. What about mignonette? I like that. Uh, Absolutely. I'm okay with mignonette. I prefer lemon. Do you usually pick them up on a fork and put them in your mouth or do mm. you just I want- toss them back? I, I like I, I want to have like a little fork to like coax them as I like pick up the shell, like tilt it into my mouth and I want to like coax it in with a little fork and it, just in case it doesn't start sliding of its own accord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's I think that's what I do, too. OK, yeah. Uh, I also like fried oysters, but I just don't really care. Fried oysters are like whatever. And yeah, no, I'm thinking of like the, you know, the Japanese style, like cocky fry, which is uh, with uh, with panko and like, you know, really beautifully oh, fried. I haven't had that. Like those are really good. OK, I've had some. Some really delicious fried oysters with like a cilantro aioli or something. Sure. I think at like the walrus and the carpenter and it was delicious, but I prefer raw. Um, my family in Baltimore, my mom's family, used to have oyster stew uh-huh. every Christmas, and they would Which make is really it more of with, a soup than a stew, right? It is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I very, it's it. quite thin. The last time they had it, I remember I was already living here, and I flew home with a pack of ice around a like a pint container of shucked oysters Mm -hmm. from like Taylor shellfish or something like do people usually use canned oysters canned oysters are not raw Right, and I, th- I think oyster stew is, is typically made with fresh oysters. I was going to ask you about the oysters in a jar, though, because that, that format kind of skeeves me out. I don't know that I could ever eat that. It like, scares me. Yeah, because I'll like happily you know pick up an oyster shell off of a bed of ice or salt or whatever, but like the idea of like forking one up out of a jar. You wrote in the, the memory lane portion of the agenda that your dad likes smoked oysters. Sure. So would that be smoked from a can, like uh, smoked mussels? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. I don't, I don't I don't think I could do that. Yeah, I don't think so either. Interesting. Huh. Okay. So Matthew, we should talk about the fact that yes, oysters are alive when we eat them. Okay. So basically, yeah, oysters, in order to be safe to eat, they need to be alive at the moment of shucking or cooking. Okay. Generally, if an oyster can't, like, like if, it, if an oyster shell is open and you tap it and it can't, like, tightly reclose its shell, it's probably dead. Okay. Sometimes oysters won't open if, if they're dead. Um, and apparently they will make, like, a distinctive sound if they won't open and they're dead, they're called clackers. So you just like put your ear up to the shell That's and right. listen for the sound. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's like if ghost? you tap it or something, okay. it makes a particular sound. Oh, because it's sort of like hollow inside because it's because it's like shrunken back. I think sometimes uh, it, they're filled with sand too Ooh. when they're dead. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want that. Yeah, I don't want that. But in general, yes, if you're eating raw oysters, they are alive and you need them to be or else they're not. Okay. Going to be safe to eat. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I'm okay with it too. Matthew, like, have you heard about the old adage about like months that you can eat oysters? Yes, that you you should eat oysters only in months with R in them, and that's March, <laughs> February, September, several other months. Uh, yes, I think it's all months 
except May, June, July, and August. Okay. And anyway, it's it's a myth, but it's based in truth. I mean, basically the idea is that at least in the Northern Hemisphere, oysters are much more likely to spoil or have some sort of like disease when the water is warmer. Is it also related to like spawning season? That's not what I found, okay. but it but it could be. I no, mean, I, I just made that up. No, no, I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, these days, especially in Seattle, you're going to find great oysters year round, and and there are going to be um, certain varieties where the water is colder in whatever inlet or whatever. <laughs> whatever inlet. Whatever inlet. Yeah, I mean, in general, it makes sense that you would not have them in the summer, but around here, especially where. I don't know. There's a tremendous amount of oyster farming and, and it's done really well. We mm-hmm. eat oysters year round. And the water is pretty cold year round. And the water is pretty darn cold here yeah. year round. Yeah. So I don't know about like on the on the Atlantic coast where the water tends to be warmer. Sure. Um, OK. So what makes different kinds of oysters taste different? Yeah. OK. So, uh, you know, obviously some of it is going to be the type of oyster yeah. that it is, like the the genus, but most of it is going to be where it's grown. So like water salinity, water alkalinity, uh, mineral content in the water or in, in you know, in the yeah. environment. So, for instance, like around here, we get, uh, let's say, um, Hama Hama oyster, like, I don't know what makes it such that a particular place like Hama Hama, which is an oyster grower, an oyster producer here in Washington state, they do grow a certain type of oyster that they call Hama Hamas, but I think they call, uh, they grow other types too. Sure. And I don't really know how that works exactly. Like, are they just growing them in different beds in different? I bet they're growing them in different beds. Yeah. Okay. Like different areas. Because otherwise they'd get very confused. Well, the oysters would? Yes. Yes. But in general, like, it, it really is, it's the the terroir. Great. Mm-hmm. One more French word and we're canceled. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, yeah. So, of course, you know, an East Coast oyster is going to have a sort of, you know, differences from a Pacific oyster. But even within Pacific oysters, there are to- there's tons of variation, not only in the shell shape, um, and in the flavor, the brininess, even in like the fattiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to do with where they are in like their spawning cycle. Okay, that makes sense. There are definitely times of year when the they're like fatter and creamier and other times of year when they're kind of thinner. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, my favorites are the uh, are the Olympias, and I think it's partly because they're small. They and so, tiny. like when I when I started being like, I could eat an oyster, like, but I want it to be like a little one that I that I don't have to like really wrangle with. And so that's kind of still my favorite. I mean, Cushies and uh, or Cushies and Kumamoto's; those are pretty small. Yes, too. yes, I like those too. And then some oysters are tumbled. Hama Hama is, I believe, tumbled. What does that mean? So the shell is going to have a different look to it because it's like something is done to the bed or maybe they're bagged or something where basically like the oysters are rotated and the shells take a slightly different shape. Oh, I Um, didn't know about this at all. Yeah. Some oysters are tumbled. I may be getting this wrong, I, but I could like, swear Hama Hama's As are. you know, I went, to, I went to lapidary camp as a child and we tumbled rocks. I forgot about that. You probably just told me that like two episodes ago. Probably. Yeah. Matthew, have you ever had an Olympia oyster that tasted like pennies? Because when uh... I, like, I remember 
being told the first time I encountered one that they can often have like a metallic flavor. I, and, I've noticed a metallic flavor in an oyster, I think. Well, but I've like, noticed, it's not unpleasant. Well, but I've had a couple of Olympias that truly tasted like licking pennies. Did you, are you sure you didn't drop some pennies in them? <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, uh, Matthew, I think that's all I've got. Okay. Yeah. I think, oh, we're uh, not going to talk about shucking them because neither of us has ever shucked them. Uh, no, but I, I, I mean, it looks like a cool thing to do. Like, I'd probably hurt myself. I mean, it's it's really just about, like, inserting the knife in the right place, twisting it in a certain way, and then you, you basically separate the adductor muscle from the mm-hmm. shell. The adductor being what allows the oyster to close its shell. I feel like it's a thing that I could pretend that I might be good at unless I actually try it, and then and then, and then I would know that I wasn't. Wrong. Yeah, I, knew, I mean, I understand it's a skill that you have to learn, but I'm not going to. I feel like you and me and producer Abby have eaten oysters together somewhere. That's possible. I think we have. But we didn't shock them. Maybe on our, our upcoming retreat, maybe we'll find some sort of... Uh, oyster bed? Oyster bed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just harvest them and... Or and you were going to say find some sort of huitrerie, right? <laughs> That's it. The the bell just went off. Like hey, we're done. You said it. That's true. You said it. You. But I didn't say. I didn't us. say like you. If you say one more French word, I said if we say one more French word. Okay. Well, Matthew. I don't know what like, I it said. seems like this is going to be our show's last now. But wow. <laughs> That's right. Because not because we're retiring the segment. Because we're retiring ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We got canceled. My Now But Wow this week is a song, uh, and it's the song Black Mirror by No Name. And uh, if you haven't heard the song, like, do it now because uh, <laughs> because it's going off the market. No, because <laughs> because it's super fun. So it is uh, uh, it is a rap song by rapper No Name who is having a real moment. And it's got this beautiful, like, sunny Beach Boys-like backing track and funny and pointed lyrics by, I think, one of the most exciting rappers working today. So here's, here's a... Uh, Uh, An excerpt of the lyrics, which I will not try to rap. She is the Wilson to my castaway, shaggy beard aftershave, prickle chin, that's okay. Gender is dimension one, we live in dimension four. Delightful. So, like, No Names Music is political and joyous and fun all at once. Uh, And uh, this song is from her fantastic new album, Sundial, and I recommend it. So that's Black Mirror by No Name. Delightful. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Uh, Molly has a newsletter called I've Got a Feeling that you can access at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. And you should access it. Oh, thanks, Matthew. Uh, Matthew makes music. Matthew has a band called Early to the Airport. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a new project called uh, Twilight Diners. You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can uh, hang out with other Spilled Milk listeners, a.k.a. Milkmaids, at uh, everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, well, oh, I'm really glad you listened to Spilled Milk, everybody. <laughs> we're, we're both. We're just, we're just glad, glad handers. What, what is glad handing? I don't know. Doesn't it mean to, like, promise things to get... Let's look it up. That makes sense. Okay, let's look at let's for our closing joke. We're gonna look up a word. <laughs> <laughs>
This is big. And we should also look up Osteria. Hold on. Uh, gl- glad. Oh, God. I, I mean, you're, I, I think, I think your, your idea sounds plausible to me, but it's one of those things I realize. I know this is a word. People don't say it much anymore. Ah, okay. But- okay. So uh, it's especially said of a politician to greet or welcome warmly or with the appearance of warmth. Oh, okay. That's so us. glad handing supporters, for instance. Yeah. No, we're, we're okay. a couple of, we're a couple of, uh, of podcast glad handers. Like as soon as we stop the tape, we become morose. <laughs> I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. Okay, <laughs> morose Amster Burton and morose Weisenberg. We're recording. <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> 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 oh man, that was uh, that was very satisfying the other day when I laughed until I cried, and so, especially because it was the stupidest joke. So, did you cry like as in like tears came out, or oh, yeah. did it turn to sobs too? It t- turned to sobs, <laughs> like like you were just getting something out of your system. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's I think really if good. I say it again, there's a chance it'll happen again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 